0: Hey, y'all, do me a favor, real quick. Would y'all just stand up for just a second, if you're able? If you're able, just stand up just a little bit, right? Okay, you can sit back down. That's all. I was just, just want to wake y'all up. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know, if you were here last week when we were looking at the day before in Jesus' life, the beginning of Mark chapter 4, his celebrity status has gone off the charts. Anytime he shows up, people are gathering from cities. They're traveling to be around Jesus. And let's be honest, most of them either wanted a miracle from him or they wanted to see a miracle. They weren't as much interested in what he had to say just yet. But Jesus knew why they were coming. And they were gathering in large quantities everywhere he went to the point that it was like overwhelming. We talked a couple of weeks ago how he and his disciples had to schedule an escape boat Yes, I said escape boat, to be there waiting in the water for Jesus just in case the crowd started crushing in on him too, too hard so he could jump in the boat and get away. It wasn't Jesus' intention to make everybody comfortable, believe it or not. Contrary to popular cultural Christianity, Jesus did not exist to make everybody comfortable that ever came and asked him for something. His mission wasn't miracles. Miracles were pointing to the mission, which was, declaring to the world that he was Lord, that he was God in the flesh, that he came after us. And there was plenty of times where those miracles would point people to believing that, but there's plenty of other times where Jesus wouldn't perform any miracles at all, like what we saw last week, basically yesterday in Jesus' life, where it wasn't about miracles. A multitude gathered on the seashore. He didn't stand with them. He actually got into a boat separated from them because he was going to be about the mission that day. And he taught in parables. Now, let me see if you learned anything last week. A parable is what? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Pretty good. That's what a parable is. When Jesus tells these heavenly riddles, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It was Jesus' way of speaking to the one who would listen. He knew everybody wasn't going to listen. He even quoted Isaiah and knowing everybody wouldn't listen. We talked about it last week. I declare the word of God over and over again. I know most of y'all ain't listening this morning. But Jesus used the phrase, he who has ears, let him hear. The one that wants to hear the voice of God, guess what? Will hear the voice of God. The question is, are you listening? Do you have ears to hear? Do you long to know the voice of God in your life? Do you long to understand his word in your life? I can assure you, if you do, he who has ears will hear. This is how God works. He's not trying to be quiet. He's speaking all the time. The question is, how cluttered is our mind and our priorities and the chaos of our lives that we've kind of turned off our hearing aid, the Holy Spirit hearing aid in our life, and we're just not listening for the voice of God. Unless something gets really sideways, then all of a sudden we want to get really jesus you right? Our prayers start getting very intimate and intentional all of a sudden. But that's not evidence of somebody that wants to know the Lord and wants to hear from the voice of God. That's evidence of somebody that's in crisis. Well, before you're too hard on yourself, know that That's the story of our lives. It feels like sometimes we're moving from crisis to crisis. And I'll be honest with you, my prayers get a whole lot richer when something's going wrong. Well, even the disciples who followed Jesus, his 12 closest friends and apostles, though they had seen him perform extraordinary miracles, they lived life with him, they ate meals with him, they started getting a little anxious as well when things were going wrong. And that brings us to one of the most famous stories in the life and ministry of Jesus. Stories that been, This story has been preached a billion times, and it'll be preached a billion times more. But I think we oftentimes miss the whole point of why Jesus calmed the storm. But today we're going to find out. And Jesus on that day, remember he had been preaching to the multitudes, he got in the boat, he's preaching from the boat to the multitudes, and on that day when evening had come, he said to them, said to the disciples, all right, let's go across to the other side. Notice he didn't step off the boat, answer everybody's questions, and heal everybody's diseases, that wasn't the point. After he was done teaching that day, he told his disciples, all right, let's get on the boat as evening came and let's go across to the other side, and so they left the crowd and they took Him with them in the boat, the disciples and Jesus, just as he was. And there were also, I want you to notice this, other boats that went with them. Jesus couldn't catch a break. Anybody that had a boat nearby hopped in the boat, piled in and started to follow him across the Sea of Galilee. And while they were headed across the Sea of Galilee, a great windstorm arose. Say great windstorm a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up with water. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. That must have been some good snoozing right there. He's still asleep. As the waves are crashing in, he's wet, they're wet, the boat's filling up with water, and he's still asleep. It's kind of a sweet look at the life of Jesus. He's 100% God. But in moments like this, we see he was 100% man. Can you imagine how exhausted he must have been caring for people? Pastoring, preaching, healing. Here in the middle of a storm, he ain't even waking up. Brother's tired, real tired. And he continues to sleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, see if you've ever prayed a prayer like this before. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Interesting thing to say to God. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Say great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, even with Jesus in the boat, we still have our storms, don't we? I wonder how many of y'all got a storm going on in your life right now. Especially how many of y'all got a storm going on in your life and you know you're in the boat with Jesus. You, you in fact, got in the boat with Jesus because you believed that that was the safest place it was going to be and here you are on the boat with Jesus, traveling through the journey of life with Jesus and your life just got rockier than it's ever been before. You thought Jesus was supposed to be the insulation and the insurance to keep you from this kind of chaos, right? Because his job's to make us comfortable. His job is to give us peace in the hard times. Well, let me ask you, Grace Bible, who do you say that he is? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? As he displayed and declared himself in the Word of God, the reality is that sometimes even when Jesus is in the boat with you, the worst storm you've ever experienced comes your way. You know, storms were not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. They're still not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. Those of you that go to Israel, you will learn this because you'll be able to see it for yourself. But the reality is what is uncommon is you don't travel at night across the Sea of Galilee because at any moment a storm could pop up. Sea of Galilee is known for storms popping up out of nowhere. The big reason why for you scientists out there is because the Sea of Galilee is almost 700 feet below sea level. But the thing is it's surrounded by mountains like Mount Hermon, for example, is 9,000 feet above sea level. So you get a vast differentiation in the geography, and guess what happens when the cool air from the mountains starts rushing downhill and the warm air from the valley starts rising and hot air and cold air come into collision. Come on, Floridians, what happens? Hurricanes happen. What's interesting is seven of the disciples are fishermen who fish the Sea of Galilee for a living. They're used to storms. This isn't uncommon for them, but even they're panicking. If that speaks to just how violent and vicious this particular storm was. As a matter of fact, the way Mark describes the storm is he describes it. When he says the great storm, he used the word seismos. Where, in, in the English language, where do we use a seismograph? What is it measuring? Earthquakes. This storm was so violent, it was like the world was shaking, and the wind was blowing, and some of your Bibles may even call it a gale force wind, like this was a crazy storm, one like even the fishermen disciples had never experienced before. Do you see what their response to Jesus was? I mean, they've watched this guy heal lepers by touching them, which you're not supposed to touch lepers. They watched this guy cause lame men who cannot walk, cause them to stand up and walk out. They've never walked in their life and they've seen Jesus use the sound of his voice to heal people and they've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle and here they are in a situation where they need a miracle and did you catch what they said to him? Oh God of heaven and earth, oh miracle working king, Messiah the promised one, we trust you. We've seen you do miracles before and we know you can do it again. That ain't what they said. Teacher, do you not care that we're dying? That's what they said. Do you not care that we are dying, teacher? You know, interesting when you look at the response of the disciples, I think it kind of reveals in us three lies that we believe. This isn't the point of the sermon, but I'm going to give it to you free of charge anyway. Three lies they were believing in the middle of their storm, and I just wonder how many of those lies are you believing while you're in the middle of your storm right now? Just by their response, we can see kind of the position of their heart towards Jesus when they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Lie number one that people in storms tend to believe as the devil starts whispering lies into your life. You're a lot more susceptible to believe in lies when you're going through hardship, aren't you? You're a lot more susceptible to trust your feelings and your emotion, and the first thing that flies across your radar... And so these are three lies the disciples were believing. I wonder if you're believing any of these three or all of these three lies while you're going through your storm this morning. Lie number one, that the devil's whispering into your ear, you're all alone. Is it me or did anybody else notice in verse 36, when they left the shoreline in the boat, there were other boats with them? But when the storm came crashing in, all the thing they could seem to notice was their boat and their problem? Jesus, you gotta save us, we're sinking. What are you gonna do about this situation? It's one of the most common lies that the devil likes to tell you, is that you're alone and nobody understands. Because he recognized how dangerous isolation is for us. Isolation is the devil's playground. So he's either going to try to manipulate isolating circumstances in your life, or even more powerfully, he's going to try to convince you by lying and whispering these lies in your ear that you are alone and nobody else understands because he knows if he can get you isolated, he's got the hooks in you at that point. I wonder if anybody's believing the lie that you're alone this morning. I bet you there's somebody sitting on the same row as you that's experiencing twice the chaos you are today. You're not alone. and nor were the disciples. They didn't know the power that Jesus had, but Jesus himself, the God of the universe, the king of heaven and earth, was resting peacefully in the hole of their boat. They weren't alone, and Jesus, just like he was with them, he's with you, you're not alone. Second lie that the disciples believe, as a storm hit them, I wonder if you believe this one this morning, is that God doesn't care. Did you catch what they said? Do you not care that we are perishing? Something in them was telling them that God's silence was his indifference to their situation. You tracking what I'm saying? You picking up what I'm putting down? You've been praying and wondering why God has not responded yet. So the devil's continue to just lie into your ear. Well, his silence is his indifference. He doesn't care. And remember that thing that you did that one time? God's getting you back for that right now too. The devil's lies that he's whispering to the disciples, convincing them that Jesus just doesn't care. That's lie number two. I wonder if anybody's believing that in their storm this morning. Lie number three. This is God in the flesh, the king of heaven and earth the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus the Christ that is asleep in the hole of the boat. They had seen him perform extraordinary miracles like they had never seen before and like nobody else had ever seen before, but did you notice what they called him? While they're in the middle of the storm, while they're bailing water, while they're grabbing the ropes and trying to cinch down the sails, like did you catch the name that they use? Messiah, Savior, King, God, Jesus, no. Teacher, let me translate teacher from the Greek into English. Teacher, instructor, that's it. This is God in the boat. And their response is, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Let me translate that. Hey, this obviously ain't the right time to sleep. You need to come pick up these buckets and bale water with us and grab the ropes with us. That's the third lie that we believe is that God's options in our hard situation are limited. And here they look at Jesus in the boat and call him, Instructor! Hey! There's 12 bailing, there needs to be 13 bailing if you catch my drift. Wake up! Don't you care that we're dying? You got to come over here and do what we're doing to save us. You know how, in the moments where I start believing the lie that God's options are limited, my prayers start changing. I wonder if you have anybody. Any of you this morning are praying to God in the middle of your storm and you have already told God what his options are to fix your situation? You have already predetermined for God Almighty what his limited options are to right the situation that you're dealing with in your life and you're essentially calling out, instructor, get over here and bail water with me. I need you to do the thing that I know that's best to do in this hard situation and when you start doing what I'm telling you to do, then we'll all be better off. Your prayers sound like that at all? And three lies that we believe. That you're alone, that God doesn't care, and that his options are limited. And the devil loves to tell you those lies when you're going through the storm. And he tells you the same lies he told the disciples back in those days. And you catch Jesus' response to those apparent belief and those lies. As Jesus is awakened up, verse 39, Jesus stands up. You would imagine at this point he would look at his disciples and he would address them. He doesn't look at them. He doesn't address him. But we see in verse 39 that as he awoke, he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea. He didn't talk to his disciples. He talked to the air. He talked to the water. The two most, most powerful forces of nature on planet earth. And he said to them these words, peace, be still. If you translate that from their language directly into our language, it literally means put a muzzle on it. Be quiet. And after he said that, verse 39 says that as he rebuked the wind and the waves, there was a great calm. Say great calm. The word great there that Mark uses is the word megale. Say megale. That's where we get our word mega. Megastorm to mega calm. Jesus was the X factor. Megale meaning mega, literally, if you translated it literally into our language, it would mean perfect. So this great storm turned into a perfect calm when Jesus spoke. Listen, uh, we live on a peninsula. So we know a thing or two about storms and water, especially those of you that like to offshore fish. Now, you know if you've been offshore fishing, if a storm comes rolling in, like once the storm is over, it doesn't go to a perfect calm right away, eventually, sure. But like it takes a couple of hours for the waves to stop crashing and rolling in because the swells are so deep from the storm. But Jesus stands up, looks at the air, looks at the water, And says, put a muzzle on it, be quiet. And it goes to perfect calm. I'm talking about the sea turned into glass. It was a double miracle. For him to stop the storm was one thing, but for him to stop the water was a whole other thing because it's supposed to keep on rolling. But the thing about it is, even when the creator of the wind and the waves spoke, they stood at attention and saluted him. And their response was immediate because their master had spoken because they still know his name. I don't want you to miss who Jesus is showing us that he is right here. The big question in Mark is who do you say that I am? Let me show you how Jesus is displaying himself right now in this passage. When Jesus speaks and it goes immediately calm, This is not a demonstration that Jesus is someone who has power. This is a demonstration that Jesus is power itself. And anything else or anyone else that has any kind of power, they only have it on loan from him until he says otherwise. Even the two most powerful forces of nature have to bow before him and stop immediately when he opens his mouth and tells them to stop. and it's in a perfect calm, you can't hear anything. All they can hear is the disciples are standing there soaking wet as they're dripping the water, dripping off of them, hitting the puddles in the boat. As they're gasping for air, trying to catch their breath, their lanterns had long blown out and all the wicks are so soaked they can't relight them again. So in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the silence of that moment, Jesus speaks and he says these words in verse 40. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith, Grace? And they were filled with great fear say great fear, and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? What a moment. Six verses Mark uses to tell this story, and in three out of the six verses, he uses this same phrase and the same idea. We, we get this math equation that's supposed to get us to sit back and say, like, what is happening here? Because there was a great storm, and then Jesus spoke to it, and it became a great calm, which you would think would equal great peace, right? Great storm, and we're panicking, Jesus speaks, and now there's a great calm. We got exactly what we were hoping for, and that should equal a great peace. But that's not what was said here, was it? It said after a great calm the disciples were now experiencing great what fear and they're breathlessly asking who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him they thought they knew who Jesus was until they had this experience and they were terrified it's funny the fear of the storm ceased immediately but the fear in their heart immediately intensified Why this matters is because the disciples just learned something that we all too often ignore this day and age in our culture and in our churches. This sermon's been preached a billion times, and it's going to be preached a billion times again. And most of the time this sermon is preached, here's the grand finale. Y'all, let me go ahead and give you what you thought I was going to get at. Jesus can calm the storm on the sea so he can calm the storm in you. Amen, right? Pass offering plates. That's like the grand finale of every sermon I've ever heard on Jesus calming the storm. And it's true. He can calm the storm in you. He can calm the storm that you're experiencing in your life, but that's not what happened here. That's not what happened at all. There was a mega storm, and then there was mega calm. And the disciples experienced mega fear. When Jesus calmed the natural storm on the sea, it created a spiritual storm in the heart of the disciples. Odd, isn't it? What the disciples were experiencing was not the common power of man. For the first time in their life, they experienced the holy power of God. And it was terrifying. You know, R.C. Sproul put it like this. In this beautiful quote that I pulled from him, he says, what the disciples experienced on the seas of Galilee that night was the holiness of Jesus Christ. Grace, listen, if Christ in his majesty were to knock on your door this morning, you would not say to him, hey, buddy, come on in. Rather, you would fall on your face before him. When the resurrected Jesus Christ and in his glory and the manifestation and display of his holiness appears, all creatures will fall at his feet because he is other. He is holy. That means that not only do people tremble at his voice, but seas who have no ears listen to his command, and winds that have no knowledge know enough to stop blowing when he says, be still. That's our Lord. That's who this Jesus is. He's not someone who has great power. He is power. And every other power in the world just loans it from him. As you notice, the terrified response of the disciples, if you notice by their terrified response, we also learn that, wait, you're not going to like this. Real peace is not found in calm seas. I know that's what you've been praying for. I want it too. When my life's getting out of control, when hardship happens, when the unexpected comes washing up on my shore, and my boat is rocking uncontrollably, like my one deepest desire that I keep bringing before God and asking him to fix is calm the seas, Lord, like fix this. Bring it back still. I need to be comfortable. I hate this. That's a real feeling. That's a real human experience. But like I want to give you this real truth that we see in the life of disciples. We see it all throughout the word of God that calm seas doesn't equal real peace. Just ask the disciples. They're even more terrified than they were before. Because they had just experienced power itself. Jesus God in the flesh standing in their boat as it rocked. And I want to remind you, oh dear, beloved grace, peace is not a calm set of circumstances. Peace is a person. He doesn't just have power. He is power itself. A calm set of circumstances are going to never give us the rest that we need. We're never going to find peace. This is why He's promised us, those of you that follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I know that's not everybody in here, but for those of you that have, one of the promises that we have of being in Christ Jesus and having relationship with him is not that Jesus would be with us, even though he is John 14, it's nice to know he's in the boat while I'm in it, but the reality of the gospel is, is he doesn't just exist with us anymore, but he has come to dwell in us now. The peaceful one who is peace dwells within you, O Christ follower. The powerful one who is power dwells within you. The wise one who is wisdom itself, the Spirit of God dwells within you. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians three fifteen. I quote it all the time. He he doesn't say when you go through hard times, ask the Lord for peace. Because that's what we do. Oh, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace. As if we kind of imagine God just dumping some on us when we need it. I get the idea, and I pray those kind of prayers too, but that's not the biblical model of peace. This is why Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 3.15, he says, listen, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Because the peaceful one who is peace already dwells within you, O Christ follower. The powerful one who is power already dwells within you, O Christ follower. I mean, that, that's an encouragement to those who follow Jesus with their life, who've surrendered their lives to him. The peace of Christ already dwells richly within you. Our work of discipleship now is learning to let that peace rule in our hearts so that we, like Jesus, it doesn't matter how bad the storm was. He was sleeping just fine. Didn't affect his rest at all. Because his peace didn't come from calm circumstances. His peace came from the fact that he is peace itself. He ain't worried about it. He offers that to you. That also opens up an invitation to those of you that haven't followed Jesus with your life. Because you thought following Jesus was a set of rules and regulations, not realizing that, like, until you step into the boat with the king who created the storm, don't ever expect him to be able to calm the storm for you. He's a worthwhile King to worship and surrender our lives to and give ourselves up for and lay ourselves down for and raise our kids to know and love and understand and share with our friends and family members because He is the one true King of glory, the King of heaven and earth. And He's inviting you into real relationship with Him. You know, stories like this kind of help answer some of the hard questions we have in life. Like, uh, maybe one of the hardest questions we have in life is, if God loves me so much, why is he letting these bad things happen to me? This story gives us a little bit of glimpse into the answer to that question. Listen, if the God that you know is so powerful and so big that he has control over your suffering, then it must also be true that he is so powerful and so big that he might have a reason for your suffering that you would never be able to understand. I feel like somebody missed that That may need to hear that. If God loved me so much, why is he letting this bad stuff happen to me? Listen, if the God that you know is so powerful and so big that you believe that he can control your suffering, then it also must be true that he is so powerful and so big that he might have a reason for your suffering that you would never understand. But we must understand this. This Jesus, the one who had the power to calm the storm, is also the one that bowed his head, got in the boat, and went into the storm with them. He wasn't going to leave them alone, and nor has he left you alone. This is Jesus' response to those lies that the devil's whispering into our ears. You are alone. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not only are you the only boat suffering, there's a lot of boats around you suffering. Just look around. Don't let the devil try to convince you that you're the only one that understands your hardship. The world around you is suffering. That's what happens in a sin-saturated world where brokenness is, is just saturated the world. And this is why Jesus told us, like, in this world, you will have trouble. John 16, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is why Jesus told us in John 21, behold, I am making all things new. There's a day coming, he's gonna wipe every tear away, and every broken thing's gonna be fixed, and every crooked thing's gonna be made straight, and every high thing's gonna be brought low, and every low thing's gonna be brought high. He's got this thing figured out, but right now we're in the storm, and he's at perfect rest. I don't believe the lie that God doesn't care. Of course he cares. He cares so much, in fact, that he got up off of his throne to put on skin, to move into the neighborhood, to suffer with us, and to rescue us from the suffering. To whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, he cares. He cares so deeply, in fact, that he gave up the royal robes of heaven and put on skin to come and dwell amongst us because he was that crazy in love with you. And don't believe the lie of the enemy who's trying to convince you that God's options are limited. (laughs) Listen, he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Just ask the disciples who thought Jesus' contribution of bailing water was the best thing that he could do to help their situation. They didn't know that Jesus could talk to the air and tell it what to do. He's got more authority in your circumstances and your situations than you could ever imagine. But he didn't just lead you into the storm for your suffering itself. Just like these disciples, Jesus knew you're not supposed to cross the sea of Galilee at nighttime. But yet it was evening and he told the disciples, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. Jesus knew what was coming. But he knew that if they didn't enter into the storm, they would never stand there staggering that they were standing before power itself, God himself in the boat. They would have never asked the question, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And Jesus has a divine love story in your life where he's at work doing the same kind of thing to make you sit back breathlessly and say, Oh my God, I didn't know you were that big. This is why Charles Spurgeon said these beautiful and famous words. And I'll leave you with this I've learned to kiss the waves that slammed me into the rock of ages. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I know you see us and I know you see into us and you see our suffering and our hardship and our worries. I know you see the deep fear and concern in that mama's heart about her child. I know you see the deep wandering and uncertainty that's in that gentleman's heart who just found out about a disease that he has. I know you see deep into the heart and you you feel the angst of the person who's concerned about their paycheck or their business. I know you see the marriage that is been rocking in the storm for a while. My prayer, Jesus, is that all of them would see you. Lord, that your spirit would raise their eyes off of their affliction, that they would see that the king of glory is in their boat, that power itself, that peace itself dwells with them and in them. For those who believe in you as Lord, and for those that don't believe in you as Lord, I pray that you would lay hold of their heart this morning that you would bust down the walls of cultural Christianity, that they really would have a heart poured out before the king, that you would transform them as you have promised that you would for those who believe in you. Lord, I thank you that you are a storm calmer, though. There's much we're supposed to learn about you in our storms, but I thank you that at any moment you can stand up and you could speak to the wind and the waves and they bow before you. And God, I do pray that you would calm some storms today. I pray that you would bring peace where peace did not exist. But I pray that you would do so that would bring so much glory to you, to no one else, to no pill or no medication or no self-help book or no therapist, but to Jesus, stepping in to be the hero that you always are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.